Hey, this is Billy Claudio. I'm the pastor of Oasis Community Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope you find freedom today through the gospel. Enjoy the message.
Say something. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Let's celebrate together. Good morning online. We're happy to have you join us. Let's come together and worship our great God. Amen.
we'll go on to this next song. I just, I think it's so exciting that we have the ability to just be here together and worship and just worship with our whole heart without fear, persecution, or worry. When all I see is a battle, you see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees, with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you, and every fear I lay at your feet, I sing through the night. The battle belongs to you And if you are for me Who can be against me? For Jesus is nothing impossible when all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. Oh, so when I
Heartfelt welcome and thank you so much for joining us this morning here at Oasis Community Church. Be blessed today and know that we think of you and pray for you often. Thanks for being here with us this morning. Hey, congratulations. Well, good morning, everybody. Show of hands, how many of you have yet to turn on your air conditioner? Mine has been pumping for a while, and so is my electric bill, so it's a good day. God's provision of air conditioning. Praise God. Well, welcome. We are so glad you joined us today at Oasis Community Church. If you're new with us this morning... We would love for you to go out to the Welcome Center afterwards, grab a, a bath bag we have for you, a gift. We'd just like to say thank you for being here with us today, and we just want to show you some love and appreciation. We have a couple things that I just want to highlight. Tomorrow, if you noticed coming in of our new decor in our lobby, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Tomorrow, we have over 85 kids registered for our summer, uh, kids camp, VBS. We don't call it VBS anymore. We call it VB. Yes! So uh, would you do me a favor? Uh, we have 85 kids, and a lot of them don't come to our church on a regular basis, or their families are not associated with our church. They're just community people, which is why we do what we do, because we believe in relational evangelism. And this is one of the core values of our church, and that's why we're putting this on. And so would you do me a favor? Would you join me as we want to pray over 85-plus kids and all our volunteers? Yeah? So, Father, as we, before we continue our service, we want to pause for a second and just say thank you. Thank you for volunteers who have been working diligently to provide an opportunity for little kids to hear about the goodness and hope there is in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, the families that dropped their kids off and the relationships that are being built over this next week, would they be eternal relationships? And would you allow little kids, as your scripture says, let them come to you? And Father, uh, we believe in the scripture, we pray it over them, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And so, allow, uh, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of that training for a week of these 85 plus kids. And so, God, uh, bless this week of kids camp, bless our volunteers who are working diligently, and uh, will give of their life this week. And Father, would you just put your hand over it, protect it, put your hand over it, and Lord, we ask that little kids would accept you and walk into your kingdom. Father, we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So we're excited about that. That's one of our core values is relational evangelism. That's why we do what we do. Another one we have is authentic community. That's one of our key values also. And so we are doing something a little bit different this summer. You know that in the sum, uh, month of July, we are not having Wednesday night ministry here for our groups and whatnot. And so we're doing something a little bit different. We're doing something called Party with the Pastors. And we're doing it pretty cool because we want to get to know each other through authentic community. And so we're doing it by age group. So if you are younger, thank you, just you, you'll see a date. If you are middle-aged, which I'm not certain which one I'm falling into yet, although I think I'm 20, my body says I'm 50. Um, but you'll notice throughout the summer there are different dates, and we're going to have just a great time of getting to know one another a little bit more intimately and developing a little bit more authentic community. And so we're excited. So please sign up. You'll see a QR code on your uh, bulletin. Sign up for the one that you're invited to. We'd love to have you join us for a party with the pastors, and we promise you won't have to cook. We promise that. So, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you stand back up? We are going to now come back and sing in some songs to Jesus. 
and just worshiping our great God. Thank you for being here this morning. surrender. This is my surrender. 
prepare your hearts now for something we did at the women's retreat. It was a very powerful, spiritual expression of testimony in a person's life. And we love to see what God does in people's lives. And when a testimony is shared, your faith can be stirred and be grown. So we're praying that that's what you experience through this. These women are sharing their stories with you and letting you know how God brought them through it.
Well, good morning, everybody. Was that, that was powerful, wasn't it? I tell you what, testimony is so special. When we get to hear the things that God does in the lives of people, I took opportunity to see the women's retreat and watch some stuff online, and I saw this, I'm like, we gotta show that, we gotta do that at church. It's too powerful then, and it obviously, today as we saw it again, reminded of testimony, the power of God and his grace in the lives of people that changes us, tells a different story in our life, and you might be here someone today that needs a different story told. I'm glad that you're here. Every one of us needed a different story told. Every one of us. There's not one of us here that came in with things perfect. We all needed to find the same saving grace that we heard in these stories that we saw in the testimony video today. And I just want to remind you that God has a great story to tell in your life. And we're in a series called Savage. And we're actually going to the context, you know, the term savage Back in my generation would be terrible, but it's kind of cool and you know, you're you know, someone a real tough person in a good way. Savage means that today, and we're using this uh, series uh, to talk about some of the Old Testament saints and, and the way that they comprehended God, the way they experienced God. And so today we're going to talk about someone that everyone's familiar with and probably a story that everybody's familiar with. I'm going to talk about King David. Actually, I'm not going to talk about him in the beginning as king because he didn't start out as king. He started as a young boy. Um, that was from a, a family in a small community uh, that had no idea what God had in store for his life. But the way he exuded, the way he lived his life was truly a demonstration of the grace and power of God at work in somebody's life that was beyond reason. And the, I believe this with all of my heart. You know, some of you are in need of a God beyond reason today. You need God to do something spectacular in your life. You need the work of God in your life. And I just want you to know as we go through this series, we're discovering the things that God can and will do for his children that he loves and he cares about. And you might find yourself in a circumstance or a situation or a relationship that just seems out of context of how you're going to fix it. And I want you to know that there is hope for you in life. So we're going to begin, and again, I'm going to highlight, you know, David's story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can flip over there if you want or get on your phone there. And it goes from 1 Samuel 17 all the way through 2 Samuel to the end, and it actually begins in 1 Kings. He's still alive when 1 Kings shows up. So we obviously don't have time to go through uh, 17 through the end of 1 Samuel and the whole book of Samuel. So I'm going to pick one story. I'm going to talk a little bit about the context of his whole life because he was quite an amazing individual. He was by no means perfect. As a matter of fact, he had some really tragic things that happened in his life and his actions. There's things that he did that he wasn't pl- proud of. Anybody fall into that category out there? Right? There's things that he did that when he looked, thought of his life one day, I would never do that. He found himself in this position of brokenness. But I want to go back to the beginning of what set him apart in his life that we can learn for our own selves that ha- had him at the end of his life still have this anointing and blessing on his life in spite of his failures. Because it's important for us to know that God uses us in spite of ourselves. Some of you ought to go, thank God! Right? We, actually, we all ought to go thank God that God uses us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our failures. God chooses to use the weak. God chooses to use the broken. God chooses to use individuals that have, in, in what I want to call the main context of what we're going to discover about David. But before we jump in there, we're going to read some. 1 Samuel chapter, uh, 17, cha- chapter 17, verse number 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled a, at Soko in Judah. So the Philistines are attacking the Israelites. They pitched camp at Ephesdamin between Sokoth and Azekah, 
And Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. So Saul has been made the first king of Israel after the judges. And he was made king. They got to pick him. He was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He, he was a standout in the crowd in the Israelites. When he walked with the crowd, everyone was like, who's that guy? You ever been seen a crowd where a guy stood out and you knew it was a professional somebody? Right? You, you walk and you're like, wow, that guy's not like the rest. You knew he was a standout. Well, Saul was that standout guy. He'd become the king of Israel. God blessed him, and then he disobeyed God's directives and commands and began to do his own thing, and God began to be displeased with him and decided to raise up another king, which we'll find out in just a little bit. David was actually picked as the new king while Saul was still the king. How many of you know there might be trouble in that thought? So David finds himself, he's actually anointed by king. At this time, this story is happening. But Saul is king of the Israelites, and he's the man's man of, of the Israelites, but he's a little older now. Verse number three, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another while the, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Anybody know what that height is? Nine feet and nine inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. His armor was 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That means that the end of his spear, it really wasn't a throwing spear, it was a, it was a, a, a pushing, a shoving spear, it weighed 50, 16 pounds almost. It was almost 16 pounds, it was on the end, and this guy was so big that 125 pounds on him and a 16 pound thing on the end of the spear was, was not too heavy for him to carry in his warfare attire. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out? And line up for battle. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of, notice what they say, servants of Saul. Now who are the Israelites really servants of? Right? They're really supposed to be servants of God. But the Israelites didn't like the idea that they didn't have a king like everybody else. So they demanded of God, God give us a king, God give us a king, God give us a king. And God said, if you want a king, here's your king. And something happened in the Israelites' mindset that was uh, really possessed by everyone. They lost sight of who really was their king. Saul really became the, the, the one that they depended on. He became the one that they, they counted on. And always remember this, wherever you put your hope, wherever you depend... That's where your hope lies. So in essence, the people of Israel had their hope bound in Saul and his capacity or ability to provide or produce for them. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This was a one fight takes all. This is the call of the, of the Philistine giant. Then the Philistines said... This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now I want you to know, it just doesn't say all the Israelites. It first said that Saul was terrified, right? The person they had their hope in, when they looked at Saul, guess what they saw? They saw a man that was afraid and fearful, and that fear was triggered in all of the Israelites that in times past had seen God do tremendous and amazing things through the hand of his people. God had done miracle after miracle, and his power was, was revealed time and time again, and yet now Saul is standing as the king, afraid of one man standing, make a declaration against him. 
You know, many times we find in our lives we have challenges that are around us, difficulties that we're facing. You know, some of you are facing some things today that you're afraid of, something that is gripping you. Just like Saul and the Israelites, and my prayer today is that what you hear, what you're reminded of, will will turn things around for you because I, I want you to know how much God is interested in your life story. I want you to know how God is interested in you being a part of the story that he's telling on the earth and the glory that he wants to bring to his name. And just like David, how God used a a young man named David to exemplify the awesomeness of God, God wants to do the same thing in your life journey. And and right now you're looking at your challenges and your difficulties. There's something that's in the way, and I want you to know they're actually not in your way. They're the stepping stone of what tomorrow holds for you. The problem that you wish was gone and you dread is something that God has positioned for you to stand as David learned to stand and face and to realize that God is wanting to tell a story through you in spite of the challenges that you're experiencing in your life today. And I want you to take a hold of this. We all have giants to face. The number one tactic of the enemy for your life is to put fear in you that you can't overcome, but we continue on. Now David, verse 12, the son of the Ephorite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem and Judah, Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep. At this time, and a lot of people don't understand this, David was already connected to Saul. He was actually going to uh, Saul's palace and playing music for Saul when he would become tormented. David was a skilled musician. We know that David wrote over half of the Psalms that you read in the Scripture. David uh, wrote half of them as the author himself. And we're going to actually go to some of those Psalms because we actually find out a lot more about David's innards. We're going to see about his outwards now and the capacity that he had in fight. But we get to discover a lot about what he was thinking, what he was feeling, what he was experiencing in his life that, that he reveals to us in the writings of his Psalms. But he would go, and when, when Saul would be discomforted, would, when an evil spirit would bother him, he found that when David played his harp, his soul was ministered to, and, and, and he brought joy to his life. So Saul knew who David was, but only in the capacity of the guy playing the harp. He only knew him in that capacity. You know there are people in your life that only see you a certain way, and they don't know that there's a giant killer in you? A lot of times we call them family. We find out in this story that that's exactly true about the life of David. We see in the very next few verses. Um, David was the youngest, verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this epoch of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commanders of their units. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. In other words, tell me how your brothers are doing at the fight. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. How many of you know they weren't really fighting? And there was no news to be brought forth. Why? Because they were afraid. They weren't engaging. Like every time armies got together in the day, the day they showed up, they engaged. They fought. Well, we see here for 40 days, this Philistine has made this declaration defying the armies of Israel time and time again. Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in care of, uh, of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out. We see he was caring for a sheep, and as Jesse had directed He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, notice this, shouting the war cry. I want you to picture this. These are a bunch of men that are afraid, scared to death every day. But every morning when they go down to the line before they fight, guess what they do? Oh! They pretend. 
Every morning they're pretending they're ready for a fight and a battle. Every one of them are like, they're getting in their little house. Isn't it interesting in our humanity how often we pretend in our faith, how often we pretend we want to look like it, we want to act like it, we want to talk like it, when the truth is we're just pretending. We're not really ready to engage. We're not really ready to go into the fight. We're just going along with everybody else that's pretending like us. And we like the other pretenders because there's no pressure. But God needed a champion. God needed someone that had a little something else besides pretending. And he wasn't even called to the battle. He was someone that was going to do some due diligence in response to his father to take care of something. Verse 21, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left the things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Except he heard something not like everybody else. See, everybody else heard a man making a claim toward other men about victory and championship and power and authority. David didn't hear the same thing that everybody else heard. He didn't, in the realm of the flesh, he wasn't listening for just what was communicated and just what was said. He was listening from a different perspective, from a different attitude of heart than everybody else in the Israeli army. David asked the men standing near him, Excuse me, verse 24. And David heard it, verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So David watches this expression. The men pull back. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of Saul? Wait a minute. Is that what he says? What does he say? That he should defy the armies of the... Living God, where you put your hope, your hope lies. Many of you, when you look at your circumstances, you see your situations, you are looking at it through a manly perspective. What can my boss do? What can my spouse do? What can my kids do? What can that person do? What is possible? But when David looked at the scenario and the situation, he didn't relate it to human means. He said, you are not defying Saul and the armies of Saul. You, my friend, are defying the living God. And there is a price to be paid when you defy the living God. I want you to notice the the attitude of heart that David is possessing that is beyond all those that are around him. Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying, told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Elab and, and David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave the few sheep in the wilderness? Notice what his brother's saying. Why are you here? What's your problem? And notice this. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. I I want you to know that we're going to discover that the accusation that's made against David is the exact opposite of what the truth is. You see, out of the context of all those people there, there was only one that had a true heart toward God that was willing to let themselves be laid down to honor the Lord. And it wasn't Eliab that had made the accusation to say, David, you're the problem. 
I want you to know that many times we find ourselves making accusations against other people, pointing out what we know to be the problem when we don't know the context of people's hearts. We become the judge and the judger and the accuser. And instead of saying, Lord, help me become all that you want me to be, we find it easier to judge others and their abilities or lack of abilities. So here Eliab is at the fight. He's not engaging the war. When the giant says, send me a champion, he doesn't say, send me, I'm ready to go. But he hears his brother say, this is not right. Something needs to be done. Verse 29, now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. I like David. His brothers would say, shut up. Don't say anything. He's like, whatever. Talk to the hand. Why? Because something was stirring in him. Something that the criticism of others and the, and the holdback of others couldn't hold back. Something that the condemnation of others couldn't. There was something that happened when he heard this, this giant made this accusation to belittle the army of Israel. Not realizing that they, this, this giant was belittling the God that he worshipped, that he served, that he honored, that he committed his life to. Verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So Saul invites David, who he knows, into his tent. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight, fight him. I love this. David shows up in the tent and says, king, don't worry. I, I, I got this. Now, I want you to know that when David said it, he, he, he meant it. He came Something stirred, something hit him when he heard this, this defamation of God within his soul. Something happened on the inside of him. And he goes on to communicate. And, and we go, what is he thinking? Is he being rational? I mean, it seems a little irrational that, that, that a young kid, not even he's in his teenagers, he's never been trained in warfare. He's only watched and tended sheep. And yeah, he's, he's kind of, he plays the harp. Oh, harpist, you're going to kill the giant? What, are you going to sing so bad he croaks over and dies? Is it going to be a sour note? I want you to know we see multiple times that David is confronted with people that tell him he's not capable of doing what's necessary. Many of you have heard people tell you that you're not capable of doing what's necessary. Whether it's a family member, whether it's a person in authority. Your own mind declaring you can't do it. I want you to know that by the grace and goodness of God, you can be the savage champion that God has called you to be to overcome any challenge that the enemy has assigned against you and see the grace and goodness of God at work like we see in this beautiful picture of David that said, I'll go do it. I'll stand for God. You know, how many, how many does it take to stand for God to change a nation? Just one. Just one. And again, we see it time and again throughout the course of history. One that stands, it changes another, and changes another, and changes another, and before long, revival is taking place. But we see this mode going to place. Saul replied to him in verse 33, You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. There's no chance, David. There's no chance. But David said, Saul... Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. How do you like that job? I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed the lion and the bear. Now, I want you to know, he's not going... Tell you what I've done. Like his mode of communication is clear. 
I have done things that are unbelievable. Believe me, king, when the lion took the first sheep, I wanted to run. I wanted to save the 99 and let the one go. But something happened inside of me, a passion. And we're going to find out it was a passion that was instilled in him when he was anointed king. The Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him and it transformed his life forever. He was one of the few individuals that in the Old Testament we see the Spirit of God repetitively on him, flowing through him, ministering through his life. We see the same gift and advantage that we have as New Testament Christians when the Holy Spirit fell in the book of Acts, this access to the Spirit. David had this access and something happened when the lion came and, and, and took the first sheep supernaturally God said don't let it go and he went and experienced the victory over a lion the same thing over a bear he saw an experience of of an overcoming situation that he could not take credit for himself and so when Goliath stood and everything within his being said you're not capable of doing this something of that passion rose up and said I know you I know what's like you and this is what he's communicating to Saul Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Saul, he's come against our God. And by the grace of God, my passion, my belief in God will not shake the identity that I know that today that giant belongs to me. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Notice what he's saying even. I can't do it myself. As soon as I go out there, I'm going to need a rescuer. As soon as I move to the field, I want you to know my hope in my heart is God, rescue me. I shouldn't be here. This is not a place for a shepherd boy. I need a savior, a rescuer who's going to do what only you can do. I, I want this to be current for you. I want you to realize that the heart of David positioned himself before God, that God was due full honor and respect, and he had a trust in God and a belief in God that God could do anything. He believed it. His heart was cued into this relationship with God that said, God, I know he might invite me to do things that seem too hard to do and too unbelievable, but because God is with me, I know God can do anything. Some of you are in situations today, circumstances today, that you're wanting some other rescue, and I want you to know that God is your rescuer. And he's inviting you to put your trust and your hope in him so that he can be revealed, and he, at the end, will get all of the glory. We saw these testimonies. Every one of them needed God. Every one of them, and when we saw the testimony come forward, we say, look at the grace of God, look at the grace of God, look what God has done. And though sometimes we try to take accolades and go, well, you you worked really hard to do that, you're so good. At the end of the day, we're going to say, no, God is the one who rescued me. My hope is in him. Saul said to David, it's finally coming to picture in his mind, go. And the Lord be with you. Basically, as you say it done, I I believe you, David. (laughs) I'm looking at a kid going, you're going to do this, aren't you? Champions of faith trust that God is able to deliver them. 
Verse 38, then Saul dressed David with his own tunic. He put his coat of armor on him, bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. But because he was not used to them, he, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. You know, many times people want you to do it the way they did it. I want you to know that God has tools in your life that are unique and specific to you, the way he wants to use you, the way he can use you, the way he wants to use the tools of your life. And David said, I'm not, I can't do this the way you did it. I, I got to do it a different way. I, I trust God can use me in doing it a different way, the way he's designed me, my purpose, my calling, my plan, the, the way God designed me. And I want you to know just the way that you are and all your mess-ups and all your miseries and all your challenges and all your, your, your things you don't like, God made you and wants to use you just like you are. Believe it. Receive it. Grab a hold of the hope of life change. And say, God, I, I believe that you want me to begin to see things from a different perspective. You, you want me to have the faith that David had. You, you want me to see as he sees. You want me to say, you are worthy of trusting God. You are worthy of, of honor and praise. And you want to position me to use what you've given me to honor your name. And this is what we see. Verse 40 tells us how he went. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand and approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He's like, all right, there's no... This person's not coming out with armor. There's got to be a mistake. Maybe he's a messenger. He looked at David and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. Isn't that interesting? That's included in there. Wow, there's a good-looking kid. What a sad day for him. <laughs> He'd had beautiful children. <laughs> Just saying, it says it. I'm just quote, commenting on it. There's a lot to find in that. And he despised him. I want you to notice what happens in Goliath. A rage hits his soul. You see, he's conquered the greatest of the greatest, the bi biggest and the best, the champions. He knows that even if he defeats this, it's not like he's going to go back to the house and he's going to go like, Saul, you're amazing. You killed a shepherd boy. He's mad. He's like, this is the best they have to offer. This is a waste of my afternoon. I mean, this is no big deal. This is a, kind of a, a spit in my face by the Israelites. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, and you have, whom you have defiled this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The giant says, I'm taking you out. And David said, you got it all wrong, son. You look out the outward and look at me from the outside and you say, yeah, there's a boy coming. I want you to know it was a boy. I want you to know he was a shepherd. 
But I, his armor was armor that he didn't see. You know, Jesus, when he was about to go to the cross, his disciples were like, hey, we'll help you not go to the cross. And Jesus says, don't you know I can call thousands of angels at this moment and take care of the problem? I want you to know that when David stood before that giant, he knew that he was not alone. And he turned to the giant and said, you got it wrong, buddy. You think I'm dying today? That's the wrong story. Let me tell you the story that is going to happen. Not only will your head come off, but all the Philistines that are standing out, idly watching what's going to happen, they're going to be fleeing just a moment, and we're going to take them all to the ground today. And you know what? It happened just as he said. Let's finish the story. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battled line to meet him. I love this. I, I do, I love this about the story. This is, you know, one of those things, you know, you think if you got a sling, what are you, you going to be doing? You're going to try to stay as far away as possible? Right? I'm like, I got a sling. Oh, he's coming. Whoa, get ready. Right? That's not what happened at all. The giant started pressing his way. Oh, David was like, okay, baby, it's on. He, he starts moving right toward the giant. Why? What's wrong with the kid? A sling and a stone. <laughs> God's wrong with him. He, he, he's got a God complex. He, he believes the God of the army of the Israelites is actually with him in, 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 in the battle. He, he's running toward a giant that in the means of humanity, there's no way that he can conquer, that he can win. The guy is covered in armor and a rock. What good is a rock going to do unless by some happenstance chance? Oh, I better read it to you. I'm sorry. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in a hand, he struck him down, and the Philistine, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. It's a miraculous story. Sometimes when we look at it, we cater to the idea of the improbable, the impossible, and that's David. But that's not David. That's anyone who is a part of the army of the God of Israel. That's all those that have fallen under the lordship and the covenant of God toward humanity. Every one of us have this covenant of God that God says, I got you. I'm taking care of you. Trust me. Put your hope in me. Listen, through David's life, he went through terrible difficulties and challenges. Right? He slayed the giant, and it wasn't like everybody, he was a champion for a day, but then he was, Saul became jealous of him and tried to kill him before he was king, and, and many times 
God delivered Saul into David's hand, but he wouldn't kill him. He said, I, I can't touch God's anointed, and when the time is right, God's going to deal with him. I won't do it. And he, his adversary was Saul for a period of time, and then he became king, and, and things went well, and he killed his thousands, and every time he went to war, God showed up and did amazing things. He honored God. He got the people of Israel serving God and honoring God. He wrote psalms that people sang, and he ministered to the Lord, and his life was a brilliant beauty. And, and then instead of going to battle where he was supposed to for the next fight, one day he finds a woman bathing outside of his palace named Bathsheba. Anybody remember the story? I don't have time to go into it because it's a whole other story. But David sins, commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then casts her husband killed. This man who has been on the top of the mountain has now found himself in the lowest of valleys and a heart that was true toward God somehow has been broken, somehow has been disjointed, and the heart that he had is now dysfunctional. And this honor that he had with a heart toward God, and again, I'm, I'm going to close quickly. I got, so, I got another two hours, but I'm going to cut it down <laughs> to ten minutes. I want you to get this because it's important. Stick with me in the back. I don't know who's doing the screens. You guys are good, good to go. You with me? All right. You guys hang with me. I got notes down that are going to try to go by, and I'm going to jump and skip. So I want to throw these thoughts out to you because I think it's important for us to know and understand. How, how, how did David have faith to do what he did? In Acts 13, 22, the New Testament apostles talked about David, and this is what they said. After Saul, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. This is what the Lord said. I have found favor. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He said, I find a man that had a heart that's toward me. And, and he reveals his heart for me because he actually does what I ask him to do. And I think there's something significant. He, he, he had a heart toward God's own heart. As a matter of fact, when God picked him, before he picked him, the scriptures tell us that God found David in the backside of, of, of tending the sheep. All of his brothers were there to be anointed king. God said, I don't look at appearances. I don't look on the outside, I look on the inside. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that God doesn't look on appearance, he looks to the heart. He doesn't look like how we look on the outside, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the job that you have, the, the way that you present yourself. He says, I'm not interested in all that fluff that you can put on. Can anybody thank God for makeup and nice clothes, right? We can cover up whatever. But God says, I'm not interested in the stuff that's on the front side, I'm interested on the stuff that's on the inside and David has shown himself before today as a person that is interested in what I think and what I say you know David's first worship song wasn't for Saul or wasn't after he became king it was when he was in tending sheep as a boy he began to write songs to God his intimacy with God his love for God and he had a heart after God's heart God sees what no one else sees and I want to ask you this question if God was to look at your heart what does he see does he see someone that goes, God, you know I trust you no matter what. You know I believe in you, God. You know I believe what you said. You can count on me as a true worshiper. I'm going to honor you with my life. I am in. You see, someone that has a heart that's after God is always saying, I'm going to do what you want me to do, even when it's not convenient. <laughs> even when I don't feel like it. Does it mean I'm going to be perfect? No, David wasn't perfect. He's the perfect picture of someone that was imperfect that yet found themselves coming back to this place of, of a pure heart before the Lord, of an open heart before God, and he did some tremendous, horrendous things. And yet he had the capacity and the ability to get back into the right graces of God in his own heart. 
Hebrews reminds us we can't hide anything from God. 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of to him who we must give an account. God knows you. Some of you are so funny, you're like, ooh, I got away with it. No, you didn't. <laughs> God loves you, but he also knows. And the question for you, do, do you, do you have a heart that's after God? Are you in a position in your life to say, God, you know what, I trust you. I, 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 I'm willing to do what you want me to do, even at a cost, even when it's difficult. I don't just do what you want me to do when it's good, when I get to take out giants, when everybody goes, David, David. I'm going to do what it's hard to do when, when no one sees, when no one is looking. God saw that David trusted who he was and that David was fully dependent on his goodness. And remember, we place our hope in what we can depend on. And many of us have not come to the place in our life where we truly depend on God. We haven't put our hope in Him. We haven't said, God, you're the only one that can make me survive. You're the only one that can get me through this. You're the only one that can to manifest yourself in this situation. And I'm inviting you today, put your hope in God. A couple things that I want to highlight to you about David. Number one, David was a true worshiper of God. He really had an intimate relationship with God. He gave him his adoration, his praise, his obedience. Everything he had, he gave due to God. You know, cultures around the world give obeisance to all kinds of gods, and, they, and the way they serve them, sometimes it's like, who would do that? And yet we serve the living God, and we hardly can give him credence. We can hardly find ourselves on our knees and lifting our hands and saying, God, you are worthy. We think that's something wrong with that. We think somehow of surrender, self-surrender, and self-honor to the Lord, that somehow it's a sign of weakness, when the truth is, it is the sign of the greatest offering of your life to a God that is owned, the only one dependable. Do you realize that you fail? How have you ever realized you're not so dependable? Thank you. We fail. We find ourselves not being able to ones to lift up to the, even the qualifications we want or the esteem that we want. We don't live up to ourselves. But God never fails. And yet we find it hard to worship him. He invites us. He says, sing to me. We're like, ah, I don't sing. God says, sing to me. And you say, I don't sing. Hmm. Sounds like God's inviting you to do something you don't do. God invites us to do myriads of things. I want you to pray. I want you to share your life. I want you to share your resources. I want, you to, I want you to do these things as an example of my grace in life. And sometimes we find ourselves struggling in these. And God says, listen, I want to be your God. I want to show you my power and my glory. But you have to truly worship me. In spirit and in truth, Jesus went on to say. He wrote in Psalms 34, I will extol the Lord at all times. The Living Bible says this, I will extol the Lord no matter what. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Psalms 25 says this. In you, Lord, I, God, I put my trust. I trust you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. David said, I'm going to be a worshiper. The second thing that David did, he committed himself to the law of God. He said, God, I'm going to find out what you said, and that's the way I'm going to live. I want to understand how to do this right, and the only way I can do it without me making the decisions is to find out what you communicated and do what that is. 
He committed himself to meditating on the word, to meditate on the law, to say, Lord, let me understand the guidance that you put into play. He, he wrote scriptures like, your word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my... You're the guiding of my system in life. I, I want to learn how to act, how to know, how to go. He dedicated himself to the law. He had this intimacy with God. He, he always he, he had the ability to believe that God was at work no matter what. His life said, because I'm reading your word, I know how to come into harmony with you. I know this is what your will is, and because it's your will, that's what I want my will to be. I want, I want to understand the way you want me to go, not the way that I want to go, because sometimes the way I want to go is my problem. David was a man after God's heart because he loved the word. Multiple times in scripture he says, I, I meditate on your word, but I love your words, God. I love them. I love them. Even when I don't like them, I love them. Psalms 119, 47 says, For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out to your commands, which I love, that, that I may meditate on your decrees. God granted David understanding and wisdom as he meditated on the word daily. And this is what he invites us to do in, in our New Testament faith is to be transformed by the word. Why? Because it renews us. It shows us the will of God. It lets us align to the will of God outside of our own will to say, I, God, I give you my all. I worship you and I'm going to follow you and trust you. Psalms 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You say, do I have a pro heart problem? I don't know. Read the word. And if you struggle with something, probably. But which one of us doesn't? Which one of us doesn't need the word to transform and to turn our hearts in the way that they should go? He continues in Psalm, I read in 25, the first three verses, four, verse 4 says, Show me your ways, Lord, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. What is he saying? I can't live without you. But then he goes on to say this, and this is the last point I'll get to. Verse 6, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my, and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. He's saying, God, I've made a mistake. Let's go quickly back to Bathsheba. He commits adultery. He kills her husband so that he can bring her to his house and get buried and keep the baby. She got pregnant. That's why he got to kill her husband because... He wouldn't come back. He tried to get her husband to come back and sleep with her. He wouldn't sleep with her because of all of his friends are fighting. He said, I can't sleep with my wife. It wouldn't be right. So he eventually has Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed and then takes her into his own home. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, I got a story to tell you, David. You're not going to like it. David said, tell me the story even if I don't like it. He says, well, there was a guy that owned a lot of, a lot of land, a lot of sheep, and he, he was doing really well. And he had a visitor come into town, and his neighbor only had one sheep <laughs> and that one sheep was kind of like a dog in the house like it stayed with the family it lived in the house and you know they didn't treat it like an animal to be eaten they treated it as one of their family members it was just a part of the family and that guy that had all those things when the friend came went and took that guy's one sheep killed it and served food with that lamb's that 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 neighbor's sheep and gave it to his guest as in honor of his guest instead of taking his own and david said the man that did that needs to pay the penalty they should die and nathan looked at him and said you're the man 
And he knew immediately that he was referring to his decision to take Bathsheba and he was the guy that had everything all of his wives and concubines and yet he still needed somebody else's something and immediately his heart was broken before God you see he had lost his way his heart for God had gotten misguided and he had, lo had lost becoming the person he used to be he'd lost having guidance with God and this connection with God he would found himself wrapped in a sinful way and Nathan said you got a problem and you're the problem and one of the greatest psalms, and again, I'm going to read it in closing because it's the significant point I want to make. David allowed his heart to be repentant so he could get his heart right with God again. You know, some of you, your heart's not right with God and hasn't been for a while. You love God. I'm not saying you don't love God. You just, your heart's not in a good place. Your, your Christianity is casual or cold. Your faith is fickle. One day you feel like you got something, the next day you don't care if you have any. The way you live your life is as if God doesn't exist. It's God, there is no army that's defied by the Philistines that says God is bad. You, it's just human stuff. Well, Christians are bad. And it has nothing to do with a living God or, or a God of the universe or a God that's worthy of worship. We look at practicum. We only look at it in a practical way instead of, no, what they're doing, what they're saying is not just against our Christian faith. It's against God. It's against the, the, the nature of God. It's against the call of God. And, and my passion has to be moved in some way. But when my heart is cold, when I, I find myself wrapped up in, in this position that's human and, and not godly, I'm lost in my way the prophet said to him you've lost your way David's response is immediate and says I I am the man I have sinned I'm the one that's he took responsibility one of the things I want to say today as I close one of the greatest things for us to do to get our heart back right is to take responsibility maybe for the coldness of our life maybe you need a Nathan in your life that can say to you hey this isn't right and you need to get it right maybe today I stand in that role and saying hey there's some things that aren't right, and, and you give me the privilege for a moment to be Nathan and say, yeah, man, God's calling you back to him. He's saying, get it right. One of David's greatest psalms of redemption is Psalms 51, and I'm going to read it as I close. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Notice this statement. Against you and you only have I sinned and done the evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. There was this call from God. Even when, before I was born, you were calling me. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let my... Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. You know, it's impossible in the idea without forgiveness of sins, without um, animals being crucified, sins couldn't be washed out. But we know that one came to redeem all of us of our sins. Jesus came as the one final lamb to redeem every one of mankind. And every one of us has the opportunity, just like David, to say, take away my sins, blot them out, wash me clean. And then he says this statement in verse 10 create in me a pure heart oh God and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me away from your presence 
or take your Holy Spirit from me. Remember, David did what he did because the Holy Spirit was a part of his life journey. He wants to be a part of your journey. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So also help me want to do what you want. Let me be willing to do what you want to do so that I can be sustained in this heart for you. Don't you want to have a pure heart before God? When God looks at you, don't, don't you want him to say, Macy, he's a woman after God's own heart. Brian, he's a man after God's own heart. Tom, he's a man after God's own heart. Don't you want him saying that about you? Saying those words to you, you're, you're a person after God's heart. Well, it requires this repentance and this identity of saying, God, I take responsibility. I want to be who you want me to be. A vertical, a right heart is a vertical heart. One that look, looks upward. You care about what God cares about. That's what he's inviting us to do, to say, God, get me back to the place that I care about the things that you care about, that I can become the person you want me to be. You know, Peter, when he was, the Holy Spirit fell on the, on the apostles, they began to speak in other tongues, and great things were happening around them. The people around them said, you guys are crazy, something's wrong with you. And he tells them, listen, Jesus is wrong with us. Our life has been changed, and now we have this new hope that's found. And in verse 3, chapter 3 of Acts, and verse 19, he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. How many of you want to be refreshed? This morning I'm inviting every one of us to a place of repentance. Not because we're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. We, we need repentance because we want to have our heart right before God. And you say, well, Bill, how can my heart get right? I got a lot of trouble. Listen, all it takes is turning back to God and saying, God, forgive me. Blot my sins out, Lord. I want to do your will. I want your will to sustain me. I want to, I want to connect with it. I, want to, I want my heart to reflect your heart. I want to see you work in my life so that you get the credit and the glory so I can have a sign up one day and say, this was my life. Look what God did. And he gets all the praise. You see, we praised today when we saw those people stand up here. We didn't go, what a nice story. They did good for themselves. We went, God is good. He beat that giant in their life. He overcame that challenge. He overcame that difficulty. And I want you to know that God is still telling the same story. He just wants to tell it in your life. We're going to close in prayer. You guys are so gracious to give me this extra time. You're watching online. It's time now. I want, I want you to take a moment, and I want us to turn our hearts toward God. I want us to look at our life with a, a, a place of responsibility and say, God, do I trust you? Have I been trusting you? Do I unequivocally go, God, I know you got my back, and I'm all in. Am I doing your will? If not, will you join with me in this prayer of repentance and saying, God, forgive me? Maybe you're here for the very first time, and you've never given your heart to Jesus. This prayer of repentance is the same thing that we do when we commit our heart to Christ for the first time, to say, forgive me of my sins, Lord. Lead me in the path that you want me to go. I want to be your champion on the earth that glorifies your name and that you live in. If you need to give your heart to Christ, Pray this prayer as well. I'm going to do it all in one com combination of repentance, getting our lives back right with the Lord, but also committing it to the, for the first time. Are you ready for this? We need this in our heart. We need this in our life, this attitude of repentance and honor to the living, true God, the God of our Christian faith that is worthy of praise and adoration and surrender. And repentance, Lord, we come to you now. Would you pray this with me? God, thank you for your grace in my life. That you choose to overlook my sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You chose to forgive me 
and invite me into your family for eternity so that I could know you and be with you. And today I turn from my old way of living. I repent of not living up to the standard you have for my life. And I choose you fresh today to be my Lord and my Savior. Let your will shine through my life from this day forward. Jesus, I call you my Lord, and I will follow you. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to do me a favor. There's going to be a text message on the screen, online, here in the sanctuary. If you gave your heart to Jesus today, or maybe you made a fresh recommitment to the Lord, would you text us in this number say, I did that today? Um, we, we want to respond to you. We want to be a blessing to your life. But for all of us, I know that the Lord was speaking today to us to get to this place of redemption and David kind of living, to see God at work in our life in spite of us. God can do great things. We love you. We appreciate you. I speak the blessings of God over you. As you go, if you have prayer needs of any kind, we have some prayer ministry team leaders that are going to be up here on the front to pray for your needs, whatever they might be. We believe God answers prayer. God does great things, and there's a testimony he wants to tell through you. So if you need that prayer, please make your way to the front, and, and please text me if you gave your heart to the Lord today. May God richly bless you. Thank you. If you're a first-time guest, we would love to have an opportunity to connect with you and give you a free gift for joining us today. Or if this isn't your first time, but you're ready to get connected, go ahead and send me an email and let me know how we can best serve you. We have life groups, both live and virtual, classes and resources to help you live your life in complete freedom. And you know what? If you're ready for the full on-campus experience, you can reach out to us via email as well, and we will get you connected with an opportunity to check us out and meet our church. Thank you so much for watching and have a blessed week. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I really hope God moved in your heart today. And if you're in the Scottsdale area, I'd love for you to come and visit our campus on one of our Sunday services. You can find details to our service times on our website. I also want to thank our faithful givers. By giving towards our podcast, you're able to help us reach people from all over the world for Christ and fulfill the mission of Oasis, which is to love God, love life, and love people. God bless.